You're listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast, conversations between girlfriends who have the knowledge and information to educate and empower you before, during, and after a divorce. We are here to remind you that you're grown and you got this. Thank you for listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Cook. Let's talk taxes. Taxes can be a very overwhelming time of year, whether you're going through a divorce or not. But there are some key things that I want to make sure that we chat about when thinking about divorce and tax season. I have seen so many women who get railroaded and then caught up in a tax situation post-divorce because they didn't know what to look for, to ask for, or didn't understand during the process. So want to break things down into four areas. You know, I like things that are organized, so we're going to do things in four kind of subtopics. I'm going to give you them first, and then we'll go back to them. First is support. Our second are tax considerations. Third, document organization and exchange. And fourth, filing plan and review. So those are our four kind of touch points and areas that we'll go over during our discussion today to make sure that we are all on the same page in the information that I am sharing and that you hopefully are receiving. So let's start with support. This is not an area that you should do alone. Unless you are a tax professional or an accountant, and even then, it's like operating on your own child. You really shouldn't do it because your judgment is clouded by emotions uh, given a family member. Think of that in the same way when we think about doing your own taxes. If you are, in fact, an accountant or tax professional, and you're going through a divorce, I strongly recommend that even you follow some of the recommendations uh, in terms of support. So what does support mean? First and foremost, you should work with a tax professional or an accountant or a certified divorce financial planner. The reason for that, even more so than say an attorney, is because you wanna make sure that The information that you are requesting or that you are pulling together is actually going to be helpful to the tax preparation process. So it's critically important to make sure that you speak with and meet with somebody who actually knows what you need to be, you know, getting or reviewing because they have that unique knowledge that is required when preparing taxes. Other thing we want to keep in mind in terms of support, especially when it comes to the support and preparation for uh, dealing with taxes, of course, are the legal components and considerations that one has during the divorce process. We'll get into this a little bit more in the tax consideration piece, but for purpose of working with somebody, if you are in fact working with an attorney, now is the great opportunity to circle back and make sure that you're talking to them about tax considerations in the negotiations of your assets, understanding the tax considerations um, as it relates to child support or spousal support, 
dependency exemptions, all of these areas by which are tax considerations, those are things that a lawyer can help you walk through, but specifically um, making sure that you are negotiating with this information in hand during either mediation or direct negotiation so that you're well aware of the considerations that you need to to have in mind and the implications. So having the support of a lawyer during tax season or certainly during a divorce as it relates to taxes is really helpful and important. Support also in the form of a divorce coach. Now, the reason I say a divorce coach is because a divorce coach, unlike your lawyer who's giving you legal advice, a divorce coach can help you stay organized. They can walk you through an action plan. As you start pulling together and identifying the information that you need, they can really help you move through your goal of this is when we're gonna file, this is how we're gonna file, these are the you know components that I need to kind of check off. So the support of a divorce coach can also be very helpful during this time period. Doesn't matter if you are working with all three and I've given them in kind of what I would call a priority list, certainly the tax preparer, provider, um, accountant being top of list and then divorce attorney and then of course the divorce coach. I recognize that each one of these professionals come at a cost. And so, um, you know, given that we are talking taxes and finances, I I don't want to come off as if I'm saying, yes, spend all the money on all these professionals. But I do want to make sure that you don't try to go at this alone, especially if you're going through a divorce. Now, for those who are thinking, well, I've always done like TurboTax or I've always gone to H&R Block. Okay, I get it. And these, you know, self-help programs or kind of the H&R Blocks of the world, they do do a good service for certain circumstances and situations. So before you engage and by fully engage, because they too come at a cost, do a little bit more research about your unique situation to make sure if you decide I'm going to do TurboTax, they do have, I think, an added service where they can assign you to a professional to kind of help you walk through. It may be worth paying that additional price to make sure you have that added layer. But again, having somebody who knows your unique circumstances, who can sit with you and not just during the online time period, um, you know, of which you're working in your taxes in that in that time period, but somebody who over, you know, certainly a couple of weeks, but maybe even a couple of months can really intimately help you and guide you through the process. That's really the level of support that really is gonna be best. Getting a divorce and taxes can be very tricky, and so we wanna make sure that you have the right support. So that's to start us off. Moving into the tax considerations, and I I referenced a few things, but I wanna go a little bit deeper so that we're clear about the different tax considerations that you want to keep in mind as you're negotiating or as you have questions about what's happening um, during the process. 
So when you are uh, going through a divorce, there are different components. So we have our financial components and then we have our parenting components. And oftentimes we have blinders on when we are talking about finances, maybe we're not thinking about how it impacts the kids or if we're focused on the kids, we're not necessarily thinking about how it impacts the finances. But this is not the time for us to have our blinders on because this is an area where one thing is actually connected to the other and we need to make sure that we're not overlooking those type of things. So what does that mean? What that means is if you are working through your parenting schedule and you live in an area where the parenting schedule has an impact on your child support or percentage of child-related expenses, it's really important to make sure that one, you understand that, but two, the impact when it comes to tax filing. Here's why. Depending on your parenting schedule, you may or may not be eligible to claim head of household in a given year. You also may be entitled to certain exemptions or allowances under the tax code, or you may no longer be eligible. So as you're negotiating parenting schedule, just make a note to circle back with your lawyer or your financial advisor, whomever, and just say, I know we may not be dealing with this today, but I don't want to forget to bring it up when we are talking about numbers, when we're talking about finances, how does this impact? Frankly, the time to do it is really before you kind of sign off on the full and final agreement so that you at least have an understanding of if we do a 50-50 parenting schedule, here's what it would look like if I try to claim head of household, or here are the exemptions and the dependency allowances that I may be eligible for under the current tax laws. Side note, tax laws do actually change. And so again, why we wanna work with somebody who knows taxes and and, um, have that kind of support because they will know what changed and what's still you know, um, applicable to you and what may not be. So that's also another component to keep in mind that the laws do change. And so when you're thinking about schedules, when you're thinking about who's paying support and how much, working with a tax professional can you know, certainly trigger responses or questions from them to help you dictate and determine what makes the most sense uh, in terms of a schedule or the um, the funding of support and, and related expenses. Okay, so again, when we're thinking about tax considerations, certainly when we're thinking about support and parenting schedules, support doesn't just extend to child support. There are considerations if you have a child who is in college, Yes, maybe in your state, they are no longer deemed a minor because now they are a college student. But if you have certain responsibilities or if the other parent has certain responsibilities, it is a very good chance that they are still identified as a dependent. So maybe not a minor, but a dependent for purposes of taxes. So knowing 
These are the components of our agreement for college-related expenses, room and board, tuition, um, transportation back and forth. How do these things impact what we claim or who we claim under our taxes? Really important to know. So even if you have older children, make sure that you and your uh, ex are on the same page about who's eligible to do what based on who's paying what based on the agreement that was reached. So don't overlook college age kids. Spousal support, the laws have changed. And so uh, for the most part, it is not allowable. It is not deductible. I say for the most part, because again, laws change. And so like as you are going through your divorce process and working with a TX professional, just making sure that they too are up to date on current laws and eligibilities. So asking the questions across the board, what's my eligibility if I'm receiving maintenance or spousal support or on the flip, are there things I'm eligible to claim or deduct if I'm paying? The answer uh, may be no. However, If it isn't, no, or maybe they know of something else that you can otherwise elect or claim or do, which can in the long run hopefully be very helpful financially for you, because that is always the goal to make sure that we are financially secure and stable. So support considerations, important as it relates to tax considerations. That's what we're talking about right now, our tax considerations, Moving from the support side, let's talk about assets. So assets are not all created equal. I know people love to say cash is king. Well, when we're talking about divorce, that's oftentimes true. You know what you're getting. It's easy to kind of allocate and you divide and you move forward. That isn't always the case when it comes to other kind of assets. So retirement assets or illiquid assets such as your home. What's really important to make sure that you understand are the tax implications of the asset that you will be receiving or that you are agreeing to uh, give to your spouse. So there are other tax considerations that you want to make sure that you make, especially when we're talking about property and retirement accounts. You do not want to find yourself a year or two or three from now realizing that taxes were not otherwise paid or the transfer of the asset wasn't done timely And so now you are responsible for the taxes that were not otherwise paid or which were waived um, at the time of divorce, but are no longer waived. So again, making sure that you ask your lawyer or the financial professional that you're working with, what are the implications? What are the considerations if we negotiate me keeping the house or if his retirement account or her retirement account is otherwise transferred to me or not transferred to me? What do I need to understand? Buzzwords like capital gains and cost basis, transfer taxes, these are the kinds of things that you want to make sure that are on your radar 
when you are negotiating a deal. And let me be very honest, if you have a situation where you have, you know, retirement accounts or a home, um, some investment accounts, make sure that you are working with a sophisticated lawyer who understands tax implications, or at least understands their own limitations and can then help you find somebody to work with you. I will be the first to say, I know my lane and I stay in it. I am not a tax professional. I am not a financial you know, advisor or financial professional. I've always been a divorce attorney. However, right, in the years of practice, I have learned along the way how to negotiate in consideration of uh, taxes and other considerations that I want to make sure benefit my client. But I always worked with a tax professional or a financial advisor or somebody who could kind of, you know, help me or look over my shoulder or that I could reach out to to say, hey, does this make the most sense or what am I missing here? So if you don't feel confident that you're working with a lawyer who either knows what they're talking about as it relates to this stuff or has the kind of relationship with someone else to be able to pick up the phone and say, what am I missing? then, you know, now may be the time to uh, exit to the left and find somebody new. Tax considerations, depending on your assets, really, really, really important. I briefly mentioned, but I do want to highlight this really quickly about uh, transfers incident to divorce. So there are some exceptions for taxes um, when there are certain property transfers that are made as a result of a divorce. For example, I'm transferring my um, or the former marital residence to my former spouse. We don't pay certain taxes. So the transfer taxes or maybe even the capital gains taxes are not then otherwise triggered because the transfer came out of a result of a divorce. Make sure, make sure, make sure you double, 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 and I'm being intentionally, you know, repetitive here, double, double, double check with your state laws about state tax implications, as well as the federal tax implications of transfers during divorce. That's one. And then two, make sure that whatever your final document is, so your judgment for dissolution of marriage, your marital settlement agreement, whatever the final term sheet Make sure that there's language in there that clearly states the transfer timing of all of these and what happens if the transfers aren't made during that time period. I've seen many people have to go back into court and they spend thousands of dollars fighting over their misunderstanding or non-compliance with the timing of transfers and then one person that ends up getting a huge tax bill. So let's make sure that we don't have that issue. Well, how do we do it? We have it written in the document. Here's when things must be transferred by. And if they're not transferred by that point in time, here's what happens or here's who's responsible. Tax consideration, asset class, really important. Okay, so we've now moved through two of them. We moved through our support and those making sure that we're working with good people. 
We've now moved through the tax considerations and we've talked about the impacts on things like children related expenses and child support, college, and then transfers of assets. These are all things that we have to keep in mind and making sure that they are covered when we are negotiating and finalizing our deal. Let's move to our third piece, which is understanding document organization and exchange. So, you know, in the divorce process, there's a lot of information being exchanged and there's a lot of paperwork and it can be very overwhelming. One of the things that you can do is, of course, have an organization chart. And this may be the time to work with a divorce coach if this is not something that you're really comfortable putting together. But an organization chart can be as simple as kind of listing out, here are all of the accounts that we have, here's my income, here's my spouse's income, here's, you know, um, certain other items. So those would be personal property items um, that have value. And then you start kind of writing down, here are the statements that we know we have. Here's what I still need. You want to try to get, especially as we're pulling together your taxes, you certainly want to get at least, you know, a year's worth. Some accounts only give quarterly statements. So making sure you have, you know, all four quarters of statements. If you have the prior year's year-end statement, that's a great way to kick things off. So what that means, if I have year-end 2022 statement reflecting there was $100,000 in the account, and then I have going into January, February, throughout then 2023, not only is that going to be helpful to me in tracking during the divorce, certain information as it relates to the ins and outs of that account, but also for purposes of organization and depending on the type of account, the information that needs to be provided on the tax return or disclosed to the tax professional can also help. But having a chart can keep you organized. Really important to stay organized. If you are someone who likes to print things out and you prefer to have a file cabinet or you know a hard file, then do that. If you're someone who prefers digital files, great. Set up a Dropbox account or set up you know an account that's on your uh, laptop or your home computer where you can drop in those files. But whatever you do, make sure that you have a running checklist of Here's what I still need. Here's what I still have. Documents that you certainly are going to need. Well, your prior year's tax return will be very helpful. That's going to give you a roadmap on the things that were in existence before and things that you should be looking for now. Your W-2, 1099, K-1s, income statements, those things that reflect income. You need all of those from every source. So make sure you're tracking those. For those who are thinking, well, my spouse does a you know cash business, okay, then you certainly need their bank account statements or where they deposit or get certain cash flow. What's what the what the cash flow is. So if you're concerned that they are self-employed, even when you're self-employed, you have to 
um, document or have some way of reflecting, here's what came in, here's what went out. But that is all the more reason that you're going to want to work with a financial professional because you might actually need a forensic accountant to help you in tax preparation and then certainly in other areas of the divorce. Okay, so we've got our tax return, we've got our income documents, any of your kind of mortgage statements, investment account statements, all of those statements and information, you want to grab those as well. Again, having a year's worth, very helpful. If you don't have the full year, certainly try to get at least the year-end statement because that should reflect um, at least current um, balances at the end of the year. And depending on the banking institution or company, they usually give kind of an annualized summary. So even if you don't have the full 12 months, you have some indication of what was happening in the account. But you definitely need to get those statements as well. So the mortgage statements, your investment account statements, um, those things are really helpful. For those who may have um, items who that are held in trust, or you're married to someone who um, has trust funds, same kind of thing. Asking for a copy of the trust documents or turning over the trust documents. Keeping in mind, there are separate taxes that are filed. Again, ding, ding, ding. We're going to work with um, a professional to help us navigate that because there are different taxes that are uh, filed or tax returns that are filed depending on um, how your uh, income and assets, uh, your unique situation, how things are set up. So making sure that you know what you're supposed to have and the type of taxes and tax returns that are um, applicable to your situation is really important. Document organization, that's the first part of it. The exchange is the second part of it. So you're going to pull together your information. So your assets, your debt information, your income information, your spouse should be doing the same thing, and then you're going to exchange. This process during a divorce is known as discovery. It's very possible that throughout your divorce case, especially if you've been in litigation, you are very familiar with the discovery process. If you are in mediation or if the two of you are doing it together, you may not be as familiar with the discovery process. Essentially, what it means is we are exchanging and discovering about each other all of the things that make our marriage our marriage in terms of the financial outlook and picture. That's the discovery process. So it's the information gathering process. What's critical here is the exchange. It's really, 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 again, reiterating for emphasis, important to make sure that you are exchanging information before tax return is filed. You should not sign off on a tax return when you have not seen the information that was used to prepare the return. Let me say that again. You should not sign off on a tax return when you have not reviewed the information that was provided or used to prepare the return. I know of several cases 
where women in particular have signed off on a joint return, never seeing the information that their spouse provided either to the accountant or, you know, self um, prepare the return to then later get a letter in the mail from the IRS about a huge tax bill. And there was a claim or an ask to be identified as innocent spouse. Innocent spouse is a doctrine that allows for one who didn't have information or reason to know information as it relates to tax preparation and filing. It's very hard to prove innocent spouse. The average person who signs off on a joint return cannot just claim innocent spouse. So I want you to be very careful in just assuming that if I show up and say, well, I didn't know my spouse always prepared everything that somehow the IRS is going to say, okay, that's fine. That's not how that works. So I want you to be very careful and really intentional about agreeing to sign or not to sign off on tax returns based on the information that you have or have not yet received. The exchange piece of our point three, which is document organization and exchange, is critically important to your overall financial outlook and stability. You do not want to be on the receiving end of a letter from the IRS at any time, but certainly one that's triggering something like an audit or um, you know, a demand for, uh, for repayment. Really important. Our last uh, sub discussion or subheading, uh, if you are writing things down, deals with our filing plan and review. So filing plan really comes down to, are we filing jointly? Are we filing married, filing separately? Or if we are already divorced, am I claiming single or head of household. That piece of it, the single head of household, that goes back to our discussion of earlier as it relates to the children and negotiating child support and child-related expenses and parenting time. So you may or may not be eligible to claim head of household or the children in certain years based on what your agreements are making sure to speak with your support team in knowing what you're eligible to do. That's a part of your filing plan. You know, what am I eligible to claim in what year? Is there something that we need to make sure that we're all on the same page so we don't end up triggering an audit? Same is true for filing status. So if you are married and you're going through the divorce process, you are eligible to claim, to file, excuse me, not claim, to file either married filing separately or married filing jointly. And they really are as simple as they sound. Are we filing in this together and signing off as a joint return? Or are we, I'm filing separately even though we are still married? There are pros and cons to each type of filing status, but it depends on your unique situation. So talk to your tax preparer, talk to your lawyer 
about what may make the most sense for you, depending on the situation that's going on in your case. There are times where even if it's a very acrimonious case, financially for the family, and this is even true in high net worth cases, it makes more sense to file jointly. There are other situations where it makes the most sense to file separately. But don't make an assumption about what the filing status is without getting on the same page. Also, as I've stated before, do not sign off on a joint return if the other side is game playing with the documents and information. Just a side note for those who may not be um, you know, well-versed in timing for taxes, April 15th is tax filing deadline for regular tax filing. You can seek an extension and that extension is then given until October 15th. So here's the thing. If you're being asked to sign off on a joint return and you don't get the ask or the information and it is April 13th, then you need to draw a line in the sand and speak with your lawyer about pushing for an extension. Don't find yourself where you are being forced to sign something because the tax date is looming. Everyone has plenty of time to get things done if they do them diligently and with considerations of the tax deadlines. These deadlines have not changed in years, except for during a period of time with COVID, there were some, you know, uh, exceptions and some other kind of allowances that were given. Those things are gone. And so for the most part, the IRS is back on its regular schedule, which is April 15th, which is the regular filing deadline, or October 15th. Start having questions sooner rather than later about how we are planning to file for the upcoming tax year and season. Start gathering documents and information sooner rather than later so that you can make a plan for an exchange date. That exchange date should not be April 10th. You need to give yourself and the other side plenty of time to get information to and from each other. The other thing that's important is employers are mandated to get everything out by the end of January. So if it's March and your spouse is still saying, oh, well, you know, my boss hasn't given me the documents or the, okay, we're gonna call BS on that real quick. They have the information or you should go directly to the employer and say, the information was due the end of January. It's my understanding that has not been provided we need the information ASAP. And when I say reach out to the employer, I want you to have your lawyer do that because there's ways to get information from employers that uh, lawyers can, um, can navigate more so than say an individual person. So knowing our filing plan, critically important. And then of course, giving time for the review, the review period. As I've stated, not everybody is going to be entitled to or can claim 
innocent spouse. Do not rely on that. If you are someone who is very concerned about the fact that your spouse has always controlled the finances and that you have not filed taxes in years, then you need to work with a financial advisor, planner, tax preparer, and even in your case, a tax attorney to help you navigate that, especially if it occurred during the marriage. I um, met with a couple several years ago and we were working through a couple of things for them uh, financially. And I then learned that uh, they both thought that they had been filing taxes, married filing separately for years, when in fact, neither of them had been filing anything for years. And so we immediately had to engage a tax attorney to compile the information that they needed to kind of write that ship because um, they were looking down the barrel of some serious, serious liabilities. And, and that's never our goal. So if you are someone who is unsure of whether or not taxes have been filed for years, or if you have some real concerns about uh, what has in fact, in fact been happening, then I want you to connect right away with your support team, but you also may need the assistance of a tax attorney to help you navigate negotiating a plan or a deal with the IRS. All of these things can be done, but it requires awareness and timing and organization. Support. Find somebody. If you're not already working with them, I want you to connect with somebody sooner rather than later. Your tax considerations, keeping in mind that there are tax implications across the board and things that you need to consider when negotiating. So whether that's child support, alimony, child-related expenses, college contribution, or any of your asset transfers, all of these things trigger or can trigger certain considerations and implications, and you want to make sure that you're clear on them. Document organization is really important. Having a system, having things in place so that you can feel confident at the time of your exchange, the exchange of information. Exchange is a two-way street. I didn't say give, I said exchange. So you should be giving and receiving the information. I cannot stress enough the importance of making sure that any information that is being used to complete a tax return must be given to you for your ability to review it so that you may confidently sign off on the return, especially if you're filing jointly. And then last but not least, our filing plan and review. Our filing plan, knowing how we're filing, what the plan is, whether we are still married and we're filing married filing separately or married filing jointly. If we are no longer married and this is post-decree, then understanding am I eligible to file as head of household or am I to file um, single? What are the dependency exemptions, but also who's claiming 
um, our children in a given year and what forms need to be kind of submitted with our tax returns based on um, our agreements. And then certainly the review. We are not going to sign off on anything that we have not had the opportunity to really sit down with and review. There are tax filing deadlines. However, somebody's refusal and lack of cooperation is not your emergency. I do not believe in self-created emergencies, and that's the kind of thing that's a self-created emergency. The fact that your soon-to-be ex or your ex has waited until the 11th hour to pull together their taxes and then are expecting you to then just sign off on them, it's not okay. That's a self-created emergency. And there are things that can be done about that. Talk to your support team about what needs to be handled and what can happen so that everybody is on the same page with expectations. Our goal is always to make sure that we are taken care of and financially supported and stable. And we can do that even with all of the tax considerations that need to be uh, kept in mind as long as we are all on the same page. As always, sharing is caring. So please pass this information along to your friends, your colleagues, your sorors, anyone who you think will benefit from this information. We certainly will appreciate if you subscribe to Grown Girl Divorce Podcast, share it um, in your networks because you never know who may need the support. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Grown Girl Divorce Podcast. Remember, though you may be going through a difficult time, you're grown and you got this. Please be sure to tell your girlfriends about us. Follow us on Instagram at Grown Girl Divorce and subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss out on any new conversations. The conversations on this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to substitute working directly with a lawyer. These episodes are not to be used as a basis to support or defend any legal action and transcripts or recordings of the podcast may not be used for any purpose without the direct written permission of the podcast owner.